Hi, everybody. It's Pastor Andy with a, uh, another uh, recorded sermon from my studio out of necessity uh, because of the fact that the live um, the live version of this that was given this past Sunday was not able to be recorded again because of a learning curve that we're still on with our digital board. So be patient with us with that learning curve. We'll get it right here uh, very soon. And uh, the live versions uh, as given on Sunday morning will be posted again here very soon, we're hoping. Uh, but for this teaching, we're going to... Uh, hit the ground running with part three of our Money Matters series. And we're going to be talking about a teaching today I've entitled Worshiping God with Your Money. And I'm so excited about this teaching. I'm so excited about this whole series because these are the concepts that have changed my life. That, uh, that you know, if I could count up the, the top five things that have really made it the, the biggest difference in my life, it, this would be, gosh, it would be near the top. The idea of generosity and worshiping God and honoring God with your money has absolutely revolutionized my life. Uh, so in the previous teachings in this series so far, we've talked about the idolatry of greed, and we looked at how God wants us to learn to rest in him and to be content with little or much. And we've also discussed how God wants us to overcome that selfish spirit of mammon that we talked about through a lifestyle of generosity. And we looked at a few promises regarding how God intends to bless those who practice his principles of generosity. Now, I want to emphasize this is a good news message, folks. It's not bad news. It's God's desire to bless you, but we have to do things God's way if we want to live in his favor. And part of how we get there is stop worrying so much about your money and your stuff and just have faith that God is your father and he'll take care of you. So what, what I want to do now is look at a passage along these lines and then make some observations about it from the book of Matthew, chapter 25. This is going to be kind of a long reading, but this is the parable of the talents that I think many of you are already familiar, familiar with. And if you don't already know this, a talent, as it's defined here and as it's used here in this passage, is a measurement of money. So let me read this to you. This will be a little bit of a lengthier reading, so bear with me here. Uh, this is the words of Jesus, and he says this, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. And, and when he says, by the way, and, and again, it will be like the it he's talking about is the kingdom of God. So that's the, the, the context here. Uh, okay, so let me start again. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money, to another, two talents, and to another, one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. 
His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, wow, there's a a lot there. So let's talk about this. So first of all, uh, did you know that most people are slaves to money? And that's true whether they have a lot of it or only a little, but God wants us to break free. Well, how does he want us to break free? Well, let's uh, reference Matthew chapter six here, part of the Sermon on the Mount, and that's cross-reference that with the passage that we just read. So Matthew 6.33 says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, God wants us to be about his business first and foremost, like we read in our master text. That's why we're here, folks. When you got saved, you didn't just automatically go to heaven. God left you here to conduct his business. And uh, that's what that master text was all about. And again, cross-referencing that with Matthew 6.33, um, it, it makes an even more poignant there. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things And the things that he's talking about is our monetary provisions. All these things will be given to you as well. In other words, um, if we're about God's business, he takes care of ours. And if we're about his business, then we have to recognize that God has entrusted us with some of his property in the form of money. And at times, that means we'll have to use some of it for the advancement of his kingdom. Once again, referencing our master text, that's what that master text was all about. Uh, The master had entrusted his servants with some of his property, and he expected them to go out and do business with it and make him a profit. And that's what he's requiring of us as well, with not only our money, but also the other provisions that he's given us, uh, our abilities and and our talents and and um, the, the the things that he's entrusted to us. So this definitely has to do with money, but it goes beyond just money. So then we have to consider ourselves in partnership with God. That's a very important principle right there. We have to consider ourselves in partnership with God. So then getting back to the, the money part of, uh, of this discussion, tithing and other acts of generosity kills the spirit of mammon and places your money under the blessing. Now, remember, mammon, like what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, mammon is a spirit. It's a spirit of selfishness, and its goal is to have you serve it. But generosity will break the shackles and and keep the flow of God's blessings moving through your life. Now, when considering our obligation toward generosity, then, we have to begin with the tithe, and I'm going to show you why. Now, I'm going to go into some detail about this in this teaching because the subject of tithing is a bit more controversial these days than, say, giving to the the poor. So I want to spend a little time on this because there are some people these days who say that tithing is not for today, but was only an Old Testament practice. Well, folks, that's an unfortunate error in Bible interpretation, so I'm going to break this down for you. But first, let's look at some uh, sad statistics about tithing in the church today. Well, according to the research group Share Faith, uh, 247 million U.S. citizens identify as Christians, yet only 1.5 million tithe. 
Now, I personally think that that 247 million that identify as Christians is probably a bloated number. I don't actually think it's that many that actually practice the faith, but that's how many identify as Christians, yet only 1.5 million tithe. And according to church development research, only 5% of churchgoers tithe. Now, this is not people who just say, I'm a Christian, but don't really practice it and don't really go to church. This is churchgoers. Okay, uh, people who regularly go to church, only 5% of them tithe. Now, get this one. This is a statistic from Health Research Funding. And they state that if every Christian tithed 10% of their income, faith organizations would have an extra $139 billion each year. Think what, uh, what we could do with that. That would be an amazing opportunity for the advancement of the gospel uh, with, with that kind of funding. So, wow, it's really sad that more Christians aren't tithing. Now, on that note, um, let, let's just define, let's go back to some super, super basic basics <laughs> and uh, define what a tithe is. So what is a tithe anyway? Well, first of all, the word tithe simply means a tenth. See, it's a form of worshiping God or honoring God with our money. So we give back to God a portion of what he's graciously given to us. So it's the first 10% of our income. Now, listen, God requires this because tithing is a test. Well, why is it a test, and what is it a test of? Well, first of all, it's a test of our obedience. Uh, are we going to obey God? Or are we going to rationalize why we shouldn't obey this or don't have to? And it's also a test of our trust in God. Uh, do we trust Him to take care of us when we obey Him with our money? And it's also a test, by the way, of our love for God's kingdom and His people. So then you could also say that tithing is a test of your devotion. You see, when you love God's kingdom, you don't mind investing some of your money in it. For example, you know, people don't usually invest in things they don't believe in. If you're analyzing the stock market, for example, if you're smart, you're going to put your money into something that you believe in, in something that you believe is going to give you a return. If you don't think it's going to make you a profit or at least be a place where your funds are protected from loss, you don't put your money there. So then do you believe enough in God's kingdom to invest some of your money in it? Do you trust God to take care of you when you do so? And will you rationalize not giving the tithe or will you simply obey without reservation? That's why tithing is a test of the heart. So what I want to do is I want to read uh, one of the, the, the primary texts that uh, people go to when talking about tithing. And that's from the book of Malachi chapter three. So I'm going to read this to you and we're going to talk about it a little bit. So uh, here we go. Uh, Malachi chapter three, verses seven through 12. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, so let me stop right there. So let me give you some context about that opening line. So it, during this time in Israel's history, um, they had gone astray and and uh, they were in apostasy, and and uh, yet they didn't recognize their apostasy. They didn't recognize that they'd really gone astray. Uh, and when they prayed to God, God was unresponsive. And so they were asking God, why don't you answer our prayers? Why aren't you responsive to us? So the he sends the the prophet. Prophet Malachi to speak to them. And here's what he says once again in Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 7 Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you ask, How can we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you ask, How do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse. Yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. 
bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Notice the language there, full tithe, not a partial tithe. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord of hosts, which this is only one of, I think, two places in the entire Bible where God says, test me in this. I, I'm, I'm calling upon you to, to put me to the test in this matter. Test me in this, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you blessing without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your land and the vine in your field will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, so now here's where we have to address the criticisms against tithing, that tithing was supposedly on, under the old covenant only and and passed away under the new covenant, because a lot of people would say, well, Malachi was uh, written during the old covenant, so that is, doesn't apply here. All right, so let's address that. Well, I want to ask a question here and have you contemplate this. Um, tithing is I, I'm going to put a blank here. Now, when I did this live, I had this up on the screen, so it was a little bit easier to follow. So uh, hopefully, as you're listening, you'll you'll be able to follow here as I just I kind of describe this. So I want you to fill in the blank here, and just I want to make you think for a second. Tithing is a blank code, not just a ceremonial law. So just think for a minute. I'm, I'm going to help you out here, but just think for a minute. What, what word would go there? Tithing is a blank code not just a ceremonial law. I'm just going to pause for a moment and let you contemplate that. Tithing is a blank code, not just a ceremonial law. Okay, here's the answer. Tithing is a moral code, not just a ceremonial law. Uh, and, and why is that? Because it was something that was written on people's hearts prior to any ceremonial law being passed down. Let me show you what I mean. So in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, we see the account of, of Cain and Abel bringing their offering to the Lord. And this might be the first mention of the tithe in the Bible, although the text doesn't specifically say that th this was a tithe. But I think we can make the case that it probably was because each man was bringing a portion of the increase of his chosen profession. You see, Cain was a farmer and Abel was a, a shepherd. Then if that's the case, why was Cain's sacrifice unacceptable? Well, the text doesn't really tell us. And I know there's been a lot of speculation about that. And some people say, well, Cain's sacrifice wasn't acceptable because he didn't bring a blood sacrifice like Abel did. Well, maybe that's the case, but we don't really know for sure because the text doesn't tell us. What the text does tell us is that there was some bad blood going on between the brothers. I, I See, I personally believe that um, Cain's uh, unacceptable sacrifice had something to do with his heart issue toward his brother. See, once again, it's clear that there was some bad blood already going on between the two, and, and Cain's ungodly attitude toward his brother defiled his sacrifice. Now, we can cross-reference this, by the way, in the New Testament with Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus said that if you're worshiping at the temple and there remember that someone has something against you, Leave your sacrifice there at the temple and go make restitution with that person, be reconciled to that person, and then come and offer your sacrifice. So our horizontal relationships are very important to God. So once again, I, I think that because the text makes it clear that there was some relational issues going on between the brothers and, and Cain uh, didn't repent of that, that that 
defiled his sacrifice when he offered it. All right, so let's go on to another mention of the tithe, and that's in Genesis 14, verses 17 through 20, where Abraham tithed to the priest Melchizedek. Now, this was definitely a tithe because the text says so. And folks, this was 2,500 years before the law. Therefore, since tithing preceded the law, it's part of a moral code, such as thou shalt not murder. You see, when Cain killed Abel, there was no written law that said murder was wrong. But Cain knew it was wrong because that law was already written on his heart. Similarly, even before there was a written law saying that we should tie the tenth of our increase, Abraham tied the tenth of his spoils of war to the local priest Melchizedek. And even before there was a written code, Cain and Abel offered a sacrifice of the increase of their professions. And one other reference here is Genesis 28, 22, where Jacob promised to give God a tenth of all that God had given him. Well, why did he choose that amount? Why, why did he choose that percentage, 10%? Well, it's because tithing was written on his heart already, even though there was a no written code. So again, tithing didn't pass away under the law because it was never introduced under the law in the first place. It's timeless. We should tithe. It's the right thing to do to give back to God, to support his church and his kingdom as a way to honor him for his provision. But if you still need a New Testament reference, let's look at 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2, which says, Now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. This is the Apostle Paul writing. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Okay, what's the first day of the week? Sunday, the day of worship. And what does each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income mean? Well, that's a percentage. So that sounds like a tithe to me. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, that sounds like bringing the tithe on the day of worship, just like we do uh, every Sunday in modern times. That sounds like a, a New Testament application of tithing to me. Now, if you go study out tithing on your own, I'd like to point out that God never said to give your tithe. He said to bring the tithe because the tithe belongs to him. Now, when I did this teaching live, I, I referenced um, someone in the congregation, Don Denotter, and the uh, the really fancy Jeep that he has. So I want to use that that example here again with uh, this teaching because I just I think it's a, a great example to drive home this point. So Don's got this really nice, sharp, fancy Jeep, one of the fanciest Jeeps, prettiest Jeeps I've ever seen. So let's say that I went to Don and I said, hey, Don, um, can I borrow your Jeep for a couple of days? And he graciously throws me the keys and, and uh, allows me to borrow his Jeep. So I bring the, the Jeep back to him and I toss the keys back to him and I, and I say, Don, um, I just want to give you this Jeep. And Don would say, um, excuse me, this is my Jeep. I let you borrow it. You're just bringing it back to me, right? So I hope you see the point. Therefore, since the tithe already belongs to God, we don't really give the 10th. We simply return it. You see the difference? Well, that's why God told the Israelite people in the book of Malachi that they were robbing him by not bringing the tithe because he says it's his. And God never demands something of us without there being a benefit to us for our obedience. I want to say that again. God never demands something of us without there being a benefit to us for our obedience. 
So back to my example about Don's Jeep, you know, let's say that I bring the, the Jeep back to him after a couple of days, I throw him the keys and, and then he throws me a hundred dollar bill. And he says, Hey, I just want to bless you for bringing my Jeep back in a timely fashion and, and undamaged. Well, he wouldn't have to do that. that that's, I mean, I, I'm bringing his property back to him. It's, it's my obligation to bring it back in a timely fashion and undamaged, but he just wants to bless me by me doing so. And that's the heart of God. He says, when you tithe, I'm going to bless you back in return. Even though the tithe belongs to me and it's holy, and I'm, I'm, I'm commanding you to bring it, when you do bring it, there's going to be a benefit to you. So let me show you an example of what I mean along those lines. There was a book that came out in 2004 called The Automatic Millionaire by David Bach. And this book was a runaway bestseller when it came out in 2004, spending 31 weeks in the New York Times bestsellers list. And uh, I was in FedEx office one day getting a print job done. And while I was waiting for my job to get done, I was just perusing the bookshelves and I saw this book. So I picked it up and started thumbing through it a little bit, just scanning it. And I saw a chapter on tithing. And I was really fascinated by that because this is a secular finance book. I don't know if David Bach is a Christian or not. Um, I mean, this is a, a secular book. There's no any. There's no indication that he's made of of him being a person of faith. So I was even doubly fascinated that there was a a chapter on tithing. And the thing that I've noticed, by the way, about most books having to do with money and success is that they all have one theme in common, and that's the concept of setting aside a certain amount of one's income for the purpose of just giving it away to charity. Now, these financial experts, most of whom aren't even Christians, have nevertheless stumbled upon a very biblical principle that one of the ingredients in becoming financially secure is practicing generosity. And this book actually, again, has an entire chapter devoted to tithing. So I want to read to you some excerpts out of that chapter. So David Bach says this, Although you should give simply for the sake of giving, the reality is that abundance tends to flow back to those who give. The more you give, the more comes back to you. It's the flow of abundance that brings us more joy, more love, more wealth, and more meaning in our lives. Generally speaking, the more you give, the wealthier you feel. And it's not just a feeling, as strange as it may seem. The truth is that money often flows faster to those who give. Why? Because givers attract abundance into their lives rather than scarcity. I just think this is phenomenal that a secular book would, would say those things uh, about tithing and giving and being generous. But once again, they've stumbled upon a biblical principle that they know this works. So it's in almost every book having to do with money and success. So we need to get that idea uh, galvanized into our hearts and minds that money often flows faster to, the, to those who give because givers attract abundance into their lives rather than scarcity, just like the Bible says. All right, now I want to transition here for a few minutes and address some common questions uh, about tithing. And uh, the first one that I want to address here is, uh, can I tithe somewhere other than my church? All right, so if you tithe to, let's say, Andrew Walmack's ministry. You know, a lot of us in our church like Andrew Walmack, so I'll use him, him as an example. Well, if you tithe to Andrew Walmack and not to your church, then let me ask you to try something. The next time you need pastoral counseling or personal ministry or guidance of some sort, the next time you need a minister to do a wedding or a funeral in your family, uh, I hope you see where I'm going with this. Well, Andrew Walmack isn't coming to do your wedding or anything else I just mentioned. 
Why? Because he's not your pastor. He's not the man that God put you under. So the tithe then always went to one of two places in the Bible. Firstly, a priest or the spiritual authority in one's life. So you'll see that referenced in Genesis 14, where once again, Abraham tied to Melchizedek. You can also uh, reference that in the New Testament in Galatians 6.6. 6. Um, the tithe also went to the, quote, storehouse, which we read in uh, read about in Matthew chapter 3, which is a place of worship and spiritual provision where one attends regularly. So the tithe should always go to the local place of worship where God planted you to support the ministry of your church and your spiritual overseer. And there's a blessing attached to that. And folks, I want to qualify here. I'm not saying any of this. I'm not teaching on this series because we're in bad shape financially in our church. Quite to the contrary, God has blessed us abundantly because we do talk about this from, from time to time on a fairly regular basis, and we as a church practice it. And as a matter of fact, that statistic that I gave you earlier about only 5% of regular churchgoers tithe, well, praise God, that's not the case in our church. Um, it's closer to, to 90% in our church. So praise God, um, you know, we, we've really, I, I guess I'm preaching to the choir on this, uh, this series. But uh, once again, it's always great to be reminded of these principles so that we continue to practice them and even enlarge our, our giving. Um, so, so once again, um, going back to the point at hand about the, the tithe always going to the local place of, of worship, your church, uh, I'm not against giving to outside ministries because, you know, Donna and I do that too, but we give to outside ministries over and above our tithe. See, 100% of our tithe goes into this church 100% of the time. Well, what about the poor then, you might ask? What if I don't have the money to both tithe and give to the poor? Well, that's a good question, and and that's one reason why you want to make sure that you know where the money goes in the church where you tithe, because if that church isn't already giving to the poor, then maybe you should think twice about supporting it. And of course, this church, Blessed Life Fellowship, has been extremely generous to the poor over the years, even to our own hurt at times. As an example, you know, we've been believing for our own church building for many years now, and even in that process, we actually sent funds to a small church in Kenya to build their own building. See, they were meeting out under a banana tree, and, and they were exposed to the elements, and sometimes they couldn't even meet because of the, you know, the monsoon rains and things of that nature. So we actually sent them the funds to build them a building. They sent us pictures of it. We've sent um, um, African churches, you know, dozens of Bibles to congregations that didn't have any. We've sent them food and other supplies. Um, we've been extremely generous to people over the years. So if you're tithing to a church who is dedicated to giving to the poor like this one is, you're already giving to the poor indirectly. But if you can do something over and above your tithe to help the poor, well, I think you should. Here's another uh, question that uh, I want to deal with. Can I tithe my time, like serving in the church, helping a needy family, volunteering for a community service, things of that nature? Well, again, the tithe by definition was always the first portion of one's income. Well, so let me explain what I mean and why that's the case. So remember, part of our master text uh, last week in Matthew 6.21 says, where your treasure is, in other words, your money, your funds, your income, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's why God has ordained a portion of one's income, your money, to be the only thing that qualifies as a tithe because it's so near and dear to your heart. God knows that if he can get you to obey him with your money, more, you can more easily obey him with other parts of your life. 
And listen, don't sacrifice one for the other. And what I mean is, for example, Jesus once criticized the Pharisees because they were so committed to tithing, but they ignored justice and mercy in other areas. And the reverse can also be true. See, we can be committed to volunteering and being a blessing in other areas, but completely ignore obedience in the area of our finances. So again, don't sacrifice one for the other. Here's yet another question I want to address here. Will God curse me if I don't tithe? And again, uh, um, we read in Malachi that God was going to curse, or he he had cursed uh, the Israelite people because they were robbing him of the tithe. But, you know, fast forward into the New Testament, and this is where we do have to to consider the, the New Testament age and the difference between New Testament living versus living under the law. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So no, I don't believe that God will curse you if you don't tithe. However, however, failing to obey any command has natural consequences, folks. See, when we don't obey God's instructions regarding our money, then we remove ourselves from the greater realms of his blessings. When we don't obey God with our money, we make it vulnerable to the curse that's already in operation in the world. See, that's why in Malachi 3 again, God says, if you'll tithe, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. What's that mean? Well, that means there's already a curse in operation in the world because of the results of sin. You know, when when Adam and Eve fell, a curse came upon mankind, a curse came upon the world, and uh, all of hell's demons were unleashed upon the earth. So the curse is already there in operation in the world, but if, if we'll come under God's authority with our money, he will rebuke that devourer for our sake and bless us in return. That's why Proverbs 10.22 says, the blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. That means that we can be blessed financially and get ahead financially without biting and scratching and clawing and and cheating our way. Uh, So the blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. So listen, folks, no one can ever say that they, quote, tried God's financial principles and they didn't work, because God's word always works as long as you work God's word. See, if you find that things still aren't right with your finances, you may need to get before the Lord in prayer and his word and find out what's wrong. And I realize that sometimes things ebb and flow in one's finances, but when when people find themselves in terrible shape financially just continually, I mean, year after year without any let up, well, it, it might be time to do some serious prayer, fasting, and study in that area. And when we do that, more often than not, we may find that the problem is staring back at us in the mirror. <laughs> Folks, you can't just agree with God's word, but not do what it says. There are many financial principles in God's word, so the instructions are there. And one of them, one of those instructions, by the way, is hard work. (laughs) Yes, I know that work is a four-letter word to some people these days, but in this day and age of the entitlement mentality, I think it's important to say that you're not going to live under God's blessing if you don't do something productive to make a steady living for you and your family. The Bible says in 1 Timothy that if you aren't providing for your family, you've denied the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. Man, that's a strong word right there. I want to say that again. The Bible says in 1 Timothy that if you aren't providing for your family, and by the way, in this day and age, it was it was primarily the men that went out to make the living for the family. I mean, in this day and age today, I, mean, I know that women are in the workforce nearly as much as men are. Um, so it's a little bit of a different scenario, but uh, this was written primarily to men. 
So I just want you to understand that, that, the, that, that God places a heavier responsibility upon men to provide for their family, because that's the context of how this was written and who it was written to. So once again, the Bible says in 1 Timothy that if you aren't providing for your family, you've denied the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. So, you know, once again, in this day and age, boy, that mindset is almost lost on some people because um, the government actually has given out handouts for people to stay home and sit on their couch and do nothing. Well, you know, folks, that's a good way to bring yourself under the curse. Even if the even if the government is handing things out to get you to stay home, what you ought to do is say, no, thank you. My Bible tells me to go out and do something productive. So that's the mindset that we need to have. Other principles are saving, not overspending, wise financial stewardship, et cetera, budgeting, things of that nature. But everything starts with generosity, folks. See, if you don't have that right, then not much else will work the way it should. Folks, God wants us to imitate him according to Ephesians 5.1. And in doing so, we have to understand that God is not a taker. He's a giver. He is a rewarder according to Hebrews 11.6. He loves to reward his faithful ones. So if we're going to imitate him, we too need to be focused on giving. We need to be focused on giving and being a blessing, and God will reward us for doing so. So I want to quote my friend, Dr. Jerry King, um, who says this about tithing and, and the curse that we were just talking about a minute ago. He says this, ultimately, everyone tithes one way or the other. You either voluntarily tithe to God or you will tithe, quote unquote, to Satan. You either bring your money under the blessing or you bring it under the curse. So here again, I don't believe that God does the cursing because the cursing is already in operation in the world. Uh, but when we come out from under God's umbrella of protection by not obeying his financial principles, then we make ourselves vulnerable to the curse that's already in operation in the world. So that's the point there. All right. So uh, one other question here that I want to address, and that's whether or not to give uh, on our gross income or our net. All right. Now, there's two ways to go with this because I realize that that uh, the government extracts their money before you ever see a dime. I mean, right? I mean, by the time your your paycheck gets to you, the government has already taken their slice off of the top. And what's left over is your spendable income. So if someone said, I'm just going to tithe off of my net because that's my spendable income, I really don't think there would be a thing wrong with that. Uh, I think that would be uh, you can make a very good case that that's very legitimate. Um, however, uh, Donna and I, the way we've done it is we've always tithed off of the gross. And we've never been sorry that we've done that, by the way, because God has always blessed us. And by doing that, and again, there's not a chapter and verse in the Bible that we're referring to when tithing off the gross or the net, but our mentality has always been, well, we, we want to honor God above the government. And even though, even though the government takes their slice without us giving anything, I mean, they take it whether we want to give it or not, um, but nevertheless, we want to honor God above the government. So we're going to give off the gross. That's just a personal decision we've made. You can do whatever you want. And I don't think you'd be wrong by not doing it that way, by going with the net. I don't think you would be wrong. But once again, folks, God has always been so faithful to us and blessed us, even during hard times. We always rebound. God always comes through for us. Uh, and 
you know, I think the more you give, the more generous God is going to be. It's a sowing and reaping process. The more you sow, the more you reap. So that's a personal decision that you'll have to make. But again, we've never been sorry that we've tithed off of our gross. It's not like we've ever, you know, grumbled and said, why do we tithe off the gross? I mean, well, and it's never like that. It's like, wow, I mean, how can we give more? And that's the the mentality that we have. And 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 God is just always been so faithful to us. Now, by the way, I'm about to come down home stretch here and, and and end this in in a couple minutes here, but I do want to make reference to a book that I wrote a few years ago called Tithing in the New Testament Age, Is It Biblical? It's basically a biblical analysis of uh, tithing today. So um, this isn't a book that I, I sell a lot of copies of this book. I don't because it's just, it's kind of a a boring read, maybe, if you're not really into this sort of thing, because it's just doctrine. And honestly, I think the the issue is settled. If you can read up till the, the end of the second or third chapter, the issue will be settled for you if you still have questions about this. Um, although I think there's, I don't know, 10 or 12 chapters in that book. So there's a lot of content. I mean, I try to cover everything, all the questions and objections that people would have from a biblical perspective when it comes to the question of tithing, because this is kind of a sensitive issue to some people. So I wanted to address this and help people to understand this that may still have questions or objections even after hearing a teaching like this. So that's a very deep dive into this subject on tithing. So uh, I think that you can find that on Amazon. You can find it on the church website. You can find it on my own my my ministry website, andrewrobbinsministries.org. Um, so any of those sources, you can find it online. Uh, and uh, that'll be a, a great blessing to you if you want to take a deep dive. All right. So um, last thought here. Uh, God will never be your debtor. So what God wants you to do is to adopt the attitude that all your money is available for his use whenever the situation calls for it. See, when you dedicate yourself and your money to his service, he's never going to leave you empty handed. Never. You can trust him. He's a God of his word. So generosity then puts money in its rightful place so we can put God in his rightful place. All right, that's pretty much it. I hope this has been a blessing to you. I hope this has helped you to understand tithing a little bit better and why tithing is a test of the heart. So I hope that God has has used this teaching to shine a spotlight on some inner heart issues and why some of us are so tight-fisted with our money and why that's the case with some of us, because it really does boil down to a heart issue. How much do you love God, love his kingdom, love his people? Are you willing to invest some of your money in it and be like uh, those uh, those wise stewards in the parable of the talents where Jesus said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I will make you master over many things. That's what I want to hear. That's what I want to be. So I, I'm living with eternity in mind. I'm not living for the moment. And that's, I think, well, I probably need to qualify that. I think we all are making progress in that. I don't think any of us have arrived in, on that point. I haven't either, but I'm certainly making progress in in, in that regard. I'm, I'm trying my best not to live for the moment, but to live for eternity, to live with eternity in mind, live with the rewards I'll be getting uh, in mind, but also... Um, sending money on ahead so that I have an account that I can draw from when I have a need right here in this life. So that's the that's the the point that I want to end on right there is we need to be living with eternity in mind, folks, um, desiring to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And the way 
you think about money and use money has a very big part to play in uh, your reward and those words that you'll hear one day. The way you spend your money and the way you give your money has a, a huge part to play in your reward in eternity. So that's all I've got. Uh, God bless you all. Love you all. And uh, we'll talk soon. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.